what to say about medical training in the United States? Well, there have been years of studies and discussions and debates and a lot of wrangling over priorities and how much more can be crammed into four years anyway. But then also innovations and here a course on learning how to communicate and there a course on humanism. And here a course where students learn about teamwork with nursing students and there a course on how to listen more effectively using standardized patients. And oh, did I mention IHI's open school? Well, now medical schools and educators are starting to connect the dots of what truly constitutes preparation to practice in today's healthcare system. Not only that, there are brand new medical schools coming online that are truly groundbreaking and literally breaking ground. We're not so much heading into the classroom, but getting out more into the community on this edition of WIHI. Welcome to WIHI, a free online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. I'm Madge Kaplan, your host and producer, and also IHI's Director of Communications. Like many of you joining us, I've recently been reading a range of stories pegged to the 100-year anniversary of the Flexner Report. With a few exceptions, none have really captured the profound shift that's underway to better combine foundational knowledge every new doctor needs with new ways of being a more effective, safety-conscious, quality-improvement-trained, compassionate clinician, starting in some instances by completely reinventing what students learn are and are exposed to from day one. This is WIHI, I'm Madge Kaplan, and we're opening up the vision and the image of a medical school classroom with the help of three guests and all of you when we turn to your questions and comments. Here are brief introductions, and I remind you to please treat yourselves to more information about each of these individuals on the WIHI webpages of IHI.org. Joining us from New York, is, I may perhaps on Long Island today, is Dr. Lawrence Smith. Dr. Smith is Executive Vice President and Chief Medical Officer for North Shore. Long Island Jewish Health System. And drum roll, please. The founding dean, dean, I should say, of Hofstra North Shore Long Island Jewish School of Medicine, now accepting applications for its first class of students starting in the summer of 2011. Welcome, Dr. Smith. Are you there? I am. Thank you very much for that introduction. All right. You're very welcome. Hop on I-95, if you're so inclined, from New York City and head to Miami, Florida. And there, I think, is where you're going to find Dr. John Rock, unless he's traveling today. He's the Senior Vice President for Medical Affairs and Founding Dean of the Herbert Wertheim College of Medicine at Florida International University. This school now has first and second year students and is about to expand the number of slots in each. Welcome. Are you there, Dr. Rock? Yes, thank you very much, and I, too, am very grateful for that uh, introduction. All right, terrific. And we are really grateful that we could barge into the busy schedule of M. Brownell, or I'm told I think it's okay to call her Brownie Anderson. She's Senior Director of Educational Affairs at the Association of American Medical Colleges. Her work is front and center with curriculum development and analysis and helping to map out and legitimize new approaches to medical education. Welcome, Brownie. Are you there? I am. Thank you for that terrific introduction. Okay. And a special supplement of the journal Academic Medicine, September 2010, features many, many good articles, including one by Brownie about latest trends with medical education in the U.S. and Canada. And I'm just going to say right off the bat, if you go to www.academicmedicine.org, on that homepage you're going to see a logo on the right for the entire special supplement uh, that Brownie is featured in as well as other 
others, and uh, that all the articles there are available for free. All right. Uh, first of all, John and Larry, since I did it already, is it okay if we go on a first-name basis here? Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. We're going to get started. So here's what's really exciting about our program today. Uh, Brownie Anderson and Larry Smith were just at a conference. In fact, maybe they're quite tired from a lot of traveling uh, on New Horizons in Medical Education. That took place in Washington, D.C. And I promised I was going to ask them each briefly to tell us a little bit about this conference and how it relates to what we're talking about. Larry, why don't I start with you? What, was it an exciting uh, event and any great takeaways? So it was, it was definitely a thought-provoking event. Uh, it was attended by a lot of very smart people who care a lot about medical education. And I think the core thinking of the event was 100 years ago, there was a contextual setting that Abraham Flexner created a report that really changed not just a few medical schools, but the way everyone taught medicine in this country. And is it, in fact, another moment in time, 100 years later, when with you know, several decades of excellent pilot programs and experiments in medical education, are we again ready for a paradigm shift in the way everyone trains future doctors? All right, sounds good. Um, so, by the way, how many people were in attendance there, just more or less? Any uh, Mitch, there were, there were 278 of people in attendance. Okay, fabulous. So, Brownie Anderson, um, kind of what was your role at the conference and what did you find especially important or exciting at the event? Well, my role um, with the American Medical Association was to organize the conference. Okay, and congratulations. The, <laughs> thank you. The things that I found uh, most exciting were that, as Larry has indicated, there were a number of very smart people who are devoted to medical education, and we had a, a diverse group of new leaders in medical education. We had a representative from every single medical school in the United States and Canada present, and um, the ideas that were generated, and we used an appreciative inquiry process to focus on the positive and move us forward in, toward New Horizons, because that was the name of the conference. Right. I've never heard of appreciative inquiry process. That's very, very interesting. Um, something maybe we can, we can flag, but that sounds really terrific. So, John Rock, I guess you weren't there, um, but I, I was thinking, I was looking at the uh, agenda for that conference, and one of the themes was social accountability and putting that issue squarely into the laps of medical educators. And I was thinking that must be music to your ears, uh, given your school's focus. I'm going to ask you and Larry both in just a minute to give us more details, but uh, social accountability sounds like an important item. Uh, it is indeed. And uh, uh, I mean, traditionally, uh, schools with uh, a varying intensities have had uh, elements of, of a social mission in this country. I think outside of the United States, though, particularly in Canada, it's very focused and, and very organized as part of the uh, curriculum of a medical school to, uh, to address, you know, social accountability and uh, to to really uh, see themselves as a solution to uh, many social issues or problems uh, in communities that, that they serve. Okay. 
Brownie, was that, thank you, uh, Brownie, was that um, a theme that kind of ran throughout the entire event? Without question. Uh, in fact, the first speaker raised it as one of Flexner's precepts about the social accountability of medicine to communities, to society, and I did a brief summary of what the, the small groups discussed, and social responsibility and uh, partnerships with communities ran through almost every one of the discussions. Okay, thank you. This is WIHI and I'm Madge Kaplan and we're talking about new schools, new experiments in medical education. That's Brownie Anderson. You just heard John Rock before her and Larry Smith. Brownie, from your perch at WAMC, what are the trends driving the changes? And since I know you speak to a lot of people and attend a lot of conferences and are kind of right in the middle of all this, would you say that this event you attended uh, this this week even represents some other kind of a lurch forward uh, as you travel along this path here of brand new ideas and new schools, et cetera? Well, I think it was a very positive lurch forward, forward being the operative word. Um, I, I think what is driving a lot of this is, uh, as John and Larry have articulated, the recognition of the social accountability of medicine, the partnership with the community. Um, we have a maldistribution of physicians, so there's a lot of attention paid to the workforce and workforce development, a diverse uh, student body as well as practicing physician uh, community, and these are all issues that are driving these changes. So talk a little bit about the drive or underlying uh, issues that are driving new schools in particular, and how many are we talking about? There are currently um, 16 new and developing medical schools, and by that I mean schools that have uh, presented themselves to the accrediting body and said, we want to start a new medical school, and the process is underway. There have been, since 2000, there have been seven new medical schools accredited in the United States, and John and Larry represent two of those schools. And what is propelling that? I mean, just literally, you know, starting from the ground up, as it were. Well, there are a number of things that are propelling it, one being the, uh, and it was actually in some, to some degree, a um, request that our organization made, the Association of American Medical Colleges, that schools increase their enrollment um, by 30%. And so some of that has resulted in new schools. There's also a recognition of needing new kinds of physicians, physicians who are primary care physicians, geriatricians. Um, and I would really like to hear why Larry and John are engaged in it, because I think you'll learn something from their experiences. All right. Well, you took the words right out of my mouth. Okay. John, I'm going to start with you uh, at Florida International University. Why did you decide to start a brand new school? And I'm wondering, was there a particular problem you were trying to solve or address? Uh, well, in in the state of Florida, obviously there's there's a real concern over uh, a shortage of physicians, and that's been mirrored by by the recommendation of the AAMC to uh, you know their their goal to increase the numbers of of graduates in medical schools to ten to fifteen percent. Uh, 
the uh, the issue with with Florida, moreover, is that we have a very diverse population, and uh, we too have maldistribution of physicians as well. And uh, th this was, uh, and, and particularly in South Florida, that uh, we have uh, numerous different cultures uh, that that exist together, and uh, and uh, represent a challenge uh, for healthcare. Uh, a lot of the uh, uh, physicians are, are not necessarily from those cultures, if you will, appreciate the particular particularities of, of the different populations. So it, it also was an opportunity for us to address, you know, training a very culturally sensitive uh, a physician that celebrates diversity, which is uh, very uh, prevalent here in, in South Florida. It's, it's, it's really one of our unique, valuable features, I think. So you have uh, a very... Moreover, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say you have a very particular kind of program that's trying to frame this as a whole set of competencies. Can you describe that? Yes. Well, the... Um, the the actual curriculum is divided into uh, five areas, and there's strands, there are threads that, that span all four years. We have human biology, disease, illness, and injury, uh, a clinical medicine strand, but more importantly, uh, we have a strand of professional development, uh, you know, which emphasizes, you know, the core competencies that uh, that are important to physicians in terms of their compassion, their caring, their understanding of communities. And another strand, medicine society, where the curriculum is actually embedded uh, in the community, where uh, students uh, in teams with nursing students, social work students, uh, actually uh, visit households. And uh, through medical education and through uh, facilitation of care for that family, improve the quality of that household and address the social determinants of that neighborhood that impact their care. Nutrition, uh, uh, transportation, uh, public safety, uh, access to uh, social services and uh, uh, support uh, from uh, various uh, other uh, agencies that help them in their management of their chronic disease. So in that process uh, of educating uh, our students uh, in medicine and in nursing and social work, uh, we're able then to improve the quality of life of, of a neighborhood one household at a time. Uh, and uh, we sort of uh, uh, are very excited. Our students are in the, uh, the neighborhoods now. They've already made household visits and uh, starting to really appreciate uh, uh, the complexities of healthcare uh, in those neighborhoods. That's very interesting. Just to clarify, when you talk about the different strands, so uh, as this particular focus in the community, is that something that all students uh, are required to sort of move through? Is that yes. embedded in the whole thing? Okay. Uh-huh. Yes. That's correct. All right. So uh, you're just listening to John Rock at Florida International University's uh, School of Medicine there, the John Wertheim School of Medicine. Larry Smith, um, I first uh, kind of saw what was going on with you uh, in an item in the New York Times uh, that you authored, and then I you were quoted in another article, and I guess what jumped right out was that first-year students were going to become EMTs uh, right off the bat. So how does that come to be, and, and what are you up to there with the Hofstra School? Sure, Madge. Well, 
So you're, you're going to hear a lot of common themes between my school and John's in terms of our ultimate mission on the community, the population, health, and social science aspects of medicine, as well as the biologic science. And uh, one of our thoughts was how do we engage the students quickly in real patient care and in the community that surrounds us and do it in a way that they would be part of a team because we want to train doctors who work well in teams and with a skill set so that they're not simply observers. And it struck us that one of the ways to do that would be to use the EMT curriculum, both as an advanced organizer for our whole curriculum for the whole four years of medical school, but also to rapidly create a skill set for the students that would allow them to function in the community, uh, on the ambulances, see patients in their homes, uh, and begin not only to have real patient encounters, but real patient encounters from the perspective, not of a physician, but of another type of member of that healthcare team, the EMT. Incidentally, the North Shore LIJ Health System runs a lot of ambulances every day, and this was a resource that clearly was, at, uh, was available to us yeah. for the education of the students. Sounds fascinating. So. Um, just say a little bit more. So right off the bat, we've got this kind of immersion, uh, kind of in the, you know, almost at the crossroads where a lot of issues come together, often in an emergency fashion. Um, so how how is that? I know you're just about, you're just accepting applications. The first class begins in 2011. Uh, how, how are we going to migrate uh, that kind of thing through the four years once you're fully operational like, that way? So we've taken, to use our own, our own terminology, but we have uh, what we call the initial clinical experiences, which are uh, increasingly sophisticated uh, immersion and, and longitudinal experiences that run through the first 100 weeks of the medical school, where students will be linked with groups of physicians in community settings uh, with a continuity of both patients and doctors. They'll have the emergency EMT experience, which will take them into diverse communities in an unpredictable fashion. Uh, and then they will bring back those clinical experiences to the basic science courses and learn how to analyze those cases from the framework of the biologic underpinnings of disease, the social and population health influences on disease, issues of prevention, issues of disparity, uh, but they'll have real cases of patients that they will have seen. So I'm wondering, uh, John and Larry both, are other schools who are kind of looking at what you're up to here uh, almost envious of being able to kind of start uh, really from, I don't, the bottom, I don't mean that in a pejorative way, but just really sort of build it really uh, from out of whole cloth here. Uh, so many schools, and Browning can jump right in here if you'd like, are constantly trying to sort of, you know, mash things into other sorts of programs, into other hours of the day, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm just curious, what kind of reaction do you get from other, other deans, other schools? Uh, why don't I start with you, John? Well, I know I think they're very positive. Uh, I, you know, I've gotten uh, some very good feedback from from other deans and other schools. And let me say that many, many schools in this country have already implemented curriculum uh, revisions addressing uh, these issues. And uh, I think where we've gone that next step is that we've embedded it in the community. And uh, for us, you know, the the work that we're doing in neighborhoods uh, is something that will 
will never stop within our medical school. It's a fabric of, of the teaching program that we have in place. Mm-hmm. But but in general, I think that uh, you know there are many uh, medical schools that are in communities that are having community engagement, and and I think in general the new schools that are looking at us and are looking at us how they could, uh, if you will, in their own communities uh, adapt some of these principles and and do it in a way that really uh, you know conforms to their uh, to their program yeah imitation will be a a sincere form of flattery Uh, Larry I'm curious I mean I know you and John and other medical schools with brownies help you all talk to one another quite a bit what about some of the more so-called traditional schools Uh, have you heard from uh, deans there and how are you they reacting to what you're up to so uh, let, let me start by saying that we went and visited many of the traditional schools uh, who were doing exciting curricula innovations. And the unbelievable graciousness and uh, collegiality with which we were welcomed and how eager people were for us to see their best new ideas, ideas and, and to use them as we wanted in our new curriculum was unbelievable. It was really reassuring that the medical education community is, really has an underpinning of enormous generosity. That being said, I think everyone who's ever tried to change a curriculum in an existing medical school knows that there is an enormous inertia. Uh, people are wedded to the status quo. Uh, they have uh, turf and uh, real estate in the curriculum that they don't want to give up. And when you start a new school, you don't face any of those issues. You really have a chance to plan from scratch, uh, collect a lot of flexible, innovative people who are willing to try new things. Uh, and so definitely change is easier when you're, not, when you're starting with a blank slate. That's right. But that being said, we had enormous help from the existing schools. All right. Well, that's terrific. Uh, thanks, uh, new medical schools, new kinds of physicians in the making. That's our topic on WIHI today with the help of Larry Smith, John Rock, and Brownie Anderson. I'm your host, Madge Kaplan. Brownie Anderson, let me come back to you uh, as you sort of look at these programs as well of other as well as others. I was just reading actually about a program that's opening up with six students in the San Joaquin Valley in California to tie into one of that state's most underserved communities. So um, my question to you is, what is the type of doctor we're hoping comes out the other end? And I don't hope that doesn't sound too much like making sausages, but are we looking for more doctors to choose primary care as a specialty, uh, to sort of um, put a different value on working in community settings, uh, underserved communities, as opposed to becoming surgeons? What what, what are kind of, what's what's the end, end game here? Well, I think all of the uh, characteristics that you articulated are what we are looking for. Fundamentally, uh, the patient is at the center of all of this, um, is at the heart of all the work that um, all the schools are doing to improve patient care, to uh, educate people who, and and you've touched on a number of these issues, work in uh, interprofessional teams with other healthcare workers who are devoted to community partnerships. Yes, we need more primary care physicians, um, but we, we need all 
physicians to be able to be good communicators, develop good relationships with patients, and um, to have joy in their work. That was one of the things that came up several times in this conference this week, the need to share the um, joy of being a physician. And so those are all qualities that we're hoping for from uh, our new graduates. Okay. To what degree are the schools also thinking in terms of team approaches? I, I kind of heard that as a theme in, in some of what people are talking about, but for instance, in terms of training uh, with other uh, students and the other health professionals, uh, professions, nurses, perhaps pharmacists, uh, how much is that being kind of built right into uh, the designs? Larry? So right from day one, we uh, made a commitment that if we were going to build this medical school, which is a partnership between Hofstra University and the North Shore LIJ Health System, that we would follow quickly behind building a nursing school and begin to have interprofessional training. Uh, we have a simulation center that already does that with residents, nurses, nurse midwives, uh, and, and lots of members of the care team. So we really have made a philosophical decision that we're going to build uh, an academic health sciences center that trains uh, people in many areas of the health professions and that we're going to find new and unique ways for them to learn together, learn to respect each other, uh, and hopefully be comfortable working in teams the rest of their career. Okay. Thank you. John? Well, uh, we we also have uh, focused on team work by and in many in, in many ways. First is it's embedded in the curriculum in medicine society. Our students are being taught what it means to be in a team, how it, how a team functions, and and the dynamics of the interactions amongst the team members, and uh, and that you know sort of leads in to their activities when they go into the neighborhoods, into the households, where they're actually functioning as a team in the neighborhoods. Uh, nursing, uh, allied health, uh, the uh, uh, social work, public health, and medicine. And then we have some, t some uh, other members of the team. They're not actually out visiting the households, but are involved in the teamwork, and that is the law school for legal access, education for the schools in the neighborhoods. We have a uh, criminal justice and social justice group that look at the, uh, the access to legal services within the community uh, and uh, the uh, overall fabric of the community as it relates to social justice, health disparities, uh, and uh, we uh, have actually uh, the music department is also a member of our team where they're looking at music therapy in a variety of different ways in the neighborhoods as well. So this is truly an urban university coalition. This is where we're bringing the strength of the university to impact a community. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and in a really measurable way because we've benchmarked the communities and then we're going to be continually providing surveillance so that we can show and demonstrate outcomes and how our our programs hopefully will be improving uh, again the quality of life of those neighborhoods thanks uh, you know you you're reminding me of something I wanted to ask you and Larry uh, both and and then in just a minute excuse me minute we'll open up things uh, for chat and questions and comments are you uh, as deans of these new schools and perhaps some of the other new ones uh, in some way are going to be kind of tracking exactly what difference you're making uh, both at the, in the community sense but also 
what happens uh, to the students uh, over time? How are you going to be tracking that? Larry? Sure. So besides the usual mandate that all medical schools have to follow their students as long as they can keep track of them, uh, we've actually, because all the new medical schools have been brought together by the AAMC and with funding from the Macy Foundation, uh, we've actually asked the Macy Foundation, is there any way they can supply us with even added expertise so that we can truly understand uh, the outcomes of these curricular innovations and these new ways of of educating physicians. And I think that uh, that has really caught their attention. And I suspect as a group, we will from day one of opening the medical schools be thinking ahead of time, what are the real metrics that will help us understand whether we're training a different type of physician or making a different impact on the community's health around the medical school. Okay, sounds right. Uh, Brownie, I I think I'm going to ask you a quick question and then we'll open things up. When you and uh, Larry and John and I were talking on the phone prior to today, uh, we did discuss a little bit whether there are challenges uh, in meeting requirements of the Liaison Committee on Medical Education, LCME. Larry, you were very strong in saying anybody who says that's uh, that's a barrier is perhaps using it as an excuse. Um, Brownie, what are, are there real challenges here, or uh, is this something that can be absolutely natural? Um, I think that there are positive challenges. The LCME is very uh, interested in learning from and working with the new schools and helping to uh, foster the innovations, to really determine how to incorporate them in the accreditation standards and to allow all of the other schools to learn from this. So I think this is, um, as I said, a positive challenge. As What I said when we were talking earlier is that the LCME has to balance maintaining the standards it uses, which are high standards for accrediting these medical schools, while fostering the innovation. And that's more of a balancing act but they are very keen to work with the schools and promote them. Okay. Larry and John, has that been your experience? Uh, John, starting uh, with you? Yeah. Well, yes, and, and I uh, agree completely with what Bronnie has, has said. The uh, And as a school, we have two classes now in place, and we have found the LCME to be extremely supportive and, uh, and really uh, helpful in identifying, uh, you know, the potential challenges that we've had and uh, and we've solved them one at a time so uh, I think there's there's complete alignment I uh, we understand the, the standards and what needs to be met and uh, and we work with them to integrate this new innovative curriculum through that process okay uh, maybe uh, Larry can you give me I'm gonna literally I'm gonna go to questions and comments but can Larry can you give me an example perhaps of something or one of you per, uh, what what would be a kind of positive uh, challenge as as Brownie said I mean sort of how are we evolving here and anybody have an example you mean in terms of the regulators? Yeah, exactly. Kind of something that doesn't seem to sort of uh, fit fit the box or fit the rule, but sort of there's a way to to work with that. Well, I, my experience with the LCME echoes what John said. I, I think that there's no question that the the regulator has an obligation to prevent someone from being completely reckless. 
Uh, however, there is a clear fostering of creativity and even daring in the curriculum, as long as you stay within what are reasonable bounds of what ought to be uh, the pathway uh, to a physician. We, d we felt that the LCME in many ways was a help, not a hindrance. Uh, and so I'll give you an example. Yeah. Our, our courses are extremely integrated, and the format and the form of the courses does not fit some of the older formats that, that people used. And we went to the LCME and said we were really struggling describing the courses in ways that they would understand what we intended to be done in those courses using the forms that they had in their standard accreditation package and they were absolutely comfortable allowing us to customize those forms so that we could truthfully and explicitly display what we were doing in, a, in that coursework. There was no forcing us into a rigid box, uh, in fact, just the opposite. There was the opportunity for us to clearly explain what we were doing, and I think they were supportive in every way. All right, well, okay, that's, that's, that's terrific uh, and helpful. All right, so we've gotten a lot of innovation and some issues onto the table about medical education and thinking outside the box, outside the building, and getting out of the traditional classroom. So now let's see what those of you who've joined us today are thinking about, either in the form of questions or comments. We really want you to get in on the conversation with our guests today. So Jesse McCall, remind everyone how to use the chat. Certainly, Madge. So in the bottom right-hand corner of your screen, you will see the chat box. I've now uh, enabled you all to send messages to all participants. Uh, and if you select that from the drop uh, up or down menu, depending on where it is on your screen, uh, you can select all participants from that menu, uh, as Iola Brown has done there. Um, so let the chatting begin. And uh, several of us are here in the studio to watch the chat room. And we'll bring questions up to Madge uh, as we see them. Imagine our guests as we see them come in. All right. Uh, Jesse likes to, yeah, I can see he's reading. <laughs> we, we both like to kind of get going on these questions a lot. Um, Paula Rye, I'm going to read one a longer one in just a second. But Paula Rio is asking, how are you teaching prevention? Uh, and I assume what's meant there is kind of uh, what what is important about prevention and in um, perhaps avoiding uh, disease and uh, and health problems in the first place. Uh, John Rock, let me start with you. Well, uh, that's an excellent question, and it's just very central to uh, you know curricular innovation, and that is not focusing on acute disease, but on managing chronic disease and preventing chronic disease. And that really starts with medical education, with patients and their families, and doing a direct interaction where uh, you can modify behavior. And, and we have to teach behavior modification and the process that is involved in that, uh, in that concept, and that is actively taught in our curriculum. Now, when, when our students and teams go out into uh, households, into neighborhoods, that is a central focus in, in households is to manage chronic disease but also prevent disease. And that's done through medical education and obviously screening, early screening and, uh, and, and appropriate screening for, for uh, you know, a variety of preventable diseases. Uh, for example, uh, you know, diabetics need to have their retinas checked. Uh, you know, they need to have a hemoglobin A's checked. Uh, they need to be sure that they're properly managing their disease. That's a prevention activity that's done right in the household with the team. 
and uh, and hopefully by doing that we can can keep those patients healthy and out of hospitals. It, essentially, one of the goals of of our program, particularly, is to to uh, you know allow patients to understand their disease, how to manage it, so they don't have to end up in an emergency room in an acute situation, uh, and uh, and not get the optimum care that they they really should have. Okay, uh, Jesse uh, McCall is going to jump in here with one question. Go ahead. Larry, I heard you earlier in the program mention that you were getting applications for your uh, school that's to be opening soon. And we had a question from Doug McKell coming in. Uh, is the selection process for the new medical students resulting in a different type of student um, applying to these schools? Are you seeing anything different with these these new applicants to your, to your new type of school? And one could ask whether you're looking for a different type yeah. of student. <laughs> so, so I would say that I have not read sufficient number of the applications to say have we are we seeing a, a distinctly different pool of applicants but there's no question that we hope to select a different pool of matriculants uh, we have signed on full full uh, force to the holistic approach to uh, the admissions process that the AAMC has been fostering in fact we volunteered to be one of their test sites what does that uh, mean holistic approach yeah so it, it is looking not just at the academic metrics like grades and MCAT scores, but also looking at life experience, at traits and personalities, at past accomplishments, at motivational factors, and weighing those things uh, equal to the one piece that is so easily me- measured, which is the academic achievements. And so although you want people who academically can tackle the rigors of medical school uh, that is only one piece of what makes a really terrific doctor. And uh, so with the holistic approach, you develop a methodology of looking deeply at those other attributes that are also necessary to, uh, to create the complete physician. And so that has been the charge we've given to our admissions committee. Now, you'll have to call me next year to, to, <laughs> for me to tell you whether we succeeded or not. Okay, that sounds good. Thank you. There's, uh, yes, thank you. Several people, as though you're, what you're doing is not already full, a lot of people sort of have new, new, new strands they want to make sure you're covering. Business skills, management skills, uh, making sure that these physicians aren't in a state of shock when they actually uh, encounter uh, some of the realities of uh, the healthcare world today and focus on, on costs. And of course, there's questions wondering about quality improvement, uh, patient safety. Uh, that's a big focus, of course, of the IHI Open School, and we know it's making its way into some schools' uh, curriculum as well. Uh, people want to know whether your patients and families, uh, some of the newer ideas about engagement, uh, working with patients and families, uh, if that's going to be embedded. So we've got a, a whole roster, and I, I sort of hear it, it thematically in a lot of what you're saying. But, um, John, I'll start with you, and then maybe, Brownie, you can sort of talk about sort of these, these big areas uh, that obviously uh, is being asked of all schools right now. Well, uh, to, to address uh, the uh, the issues of understanding the healthcare system in which physicians will function, it's a major part of our curriculum and professional development. We we have to uh, actually uh, focus on uh, the challenges of the current healthcare system and how it's evolving with healthcare reform. And uh, we specifically address that uh, in our professional development. Uh, a strand, and it's a very dynamic one because, as you know, things change, issues change, so we have to 
to uh, make that a very flexible experience for our medical schools because of what's happening in our medical students because of what's happening in our country. We, we teach spirituality uh, in, our, uh, in our professional development uh, strand. Uh, the, uh, we teach culture. Uh, we teach uh, the uh, uh, alternative medicine. Uh, a variety of different uh, topics that are not really uh, addressed in some uh, fashion in many uh, uh, curricula because they, they really don't fit into the, uh, they're more, uh, uh, you know, an occasional lecture or, if you will, uh, a, uh, a, uh, a seminar. If you, we, we actually embed it in the curriculum, and we hope as we evolve over the years, those will be strengthened and focused and and will uh, will be uh, appreciated by our students once they graduate, going out and practicing uh, in uh, in our in our communities in South Florida. Terrific. Um, by the way, any of you feel free to jump in. You don't have to wait for me to to call on you, Brownie. I want to ask you. There are several questions here. Maybe it's just too good to be true. People are saying, really, you you can actually have uh, kind of different kinds of formats and actually. <laughs> <laughs> make it through uh, the labyrinth of, of you know, accreditation. So uh, can you speak to that a little bit more, um, the way John and Larry have both felt that their alternative formats uh, can definitely, you know, satisfy uh, requirements? Some people are, are kind of uh, pinching themselves. <laughs> Um, well, I, I think my tombstone will say, if you've seen one medical school, you've seen one medical school. Okay. I think one of the most exciting things about the work that we do is that there is so much variety and the recognition that people learn differently, people choose schools that they go to for particular reasons. There is not a, a single curriculum that one goes through in medical school and graduates with an MD degree. So there's tremendous variability in the curricula and each of the programs that Larry and John have described, as well as the other 148 medical schools in the U.S. and Canada, um, have different curricula and very exciting, and as John mentioned, innovative things going on at schools that have been in place for many, many years. Um, I wanted to also say, and John touched on this, that many of the topics that the um, audience is uh, asking about, many of them are integrated. We don't have separate courses labeled the business of medicine right, or right, right. spirituality. And it's really critical to understand and appreciate how hard the schools have worked to integrate these and embed them as part of the whole curriculum as opposed to a siloed approach to education. That's right. And I, I think that sort of reflects a little bit on my introduction to today's program where I was reflecting in part based on uh, when I used to cover this as a journalist, an interesting course on effective communication or humanism uh, as as though that weren't something that needed to be, you know, uh, integrated. So I think that's one of the most ex uh, exciting things, in a sense, is that sort of all
all uh, the, some of the, the goals and criteria are being sort of built right in. One of um, an interesting area also uh, that we discussed uh, prior to today's program and is coming up, I think people are wondering about uh, does the licensing exam uh, start to change uh, for doctors? Um, you know, with in some ways reflecting a lot of these changes. And we also discussed whether or not there is going to be, a mu it's already starting to be a much broader view of what can happen before students get to medical school, at medical school, residency, sort of looking at this as all very uh, connected. So um, maybe, I don't know who, I don't know who knows or if anyone knows the answer about uh, exams themselves in terms of getting licensed to be a physician. Position, but uh, maybe talk to both of those things. Larry, should I start with you? Sure. So I, I've been a fairly outspoken critic of uh, the current USMLE structure, and uh, and really because in many ways it, it has been constraining of really radical curricular reform. That being said, I think the National Board has to be given credit that uh, the questions even on step one have evolved to almost all clinical basis, uh, often with second-order thinking involved. And so the idea that it now only tests rote memory of facts is no longer true. And certainly that would be a very detrimental type of hurdle uh, when you're trying really to teach people the, the concepts underpinning medicine, not endless lists of facts. So I think the USMLE has heard and has responded, although a radical change where we have completely different types of exams, uh, I'm not sure that's really in the offing. Okay. And maybe, John, talk, because I, I know we had a little bit of this discussion about beginning to think about sort of looking at a, a span of many, you know, of all the years of training, because one of the uh, classic things that's talked about is wonderful things in new kinds of courses or new programs in medical school. Then people hit this huge speed bump and reality check of residency in which, uh, not to be too extreme about it, an awful lot of good stuff goes out the window. So what, what is a way to begin to sort of pull these uh, pieces together? Well, you know, I think we, we should view medical education as a lifelong process. You know, spending the life of a doctor, uh, you know, going uh, the pre-medical studies and then medicine and then uh, residency and then practice, active practice, and then uh, slowly uh, going into retirement. And, uh, and, and those changes, you know, span, uh, you know, could span a 40, 50, 60-year interval depending on the individual, obviously. But the, the, uh, the, the challenge I think we have uh, is that integrating those processes have not occurred in, in any measurable way in, in, in our country. Uh, it's a very long road uh, for a student to do, uh, get a, a BS and then get into medical school and then do a residency and then maybe some fellowship and before they even get into practice. Mm -hmm. And there is uh, uh, common uh, issues addressed in, in each one of these programs. We've seen a first step in tying medical education to the competencies uh, in residency programs. And uh, so that, that's a, a good first step. But if you looked at how we might even go further, is addressing the pre-medical education right. uh, experience and how that in, could align and integrate into medical school in a, in a better way to avoid duplication and perhaps shorten the interval 
of the time. Well, right, exactly. Uh, th- thanks, John. Uh, anyone else want to comment on that, Larry or Brownie? Well, I think that one of the interesting things has been when, when we've challenged our uh, course design teams to list all of the competencies in, say, a, a given area. Uh, we, we laugh at the end because the list is so extensive that the world's greatest specialist could barely uh, meet those competencies. And then what becomes obvious is that all of this can't be crammed into just the four years of medical school, that you have to look at the continuum from pre-med to medical school to residency to fellowship to learning after you're in practice and that there is no possible way to squash everything into just the four years of medical school. And I think we we all need to accept that and begin to be comfortable uh, putting different different levels of skill development and, and knowledge development happening at different points in education, not all under the control of the medical school. Well, that's uh, terrific. And uh, by the way, we have a wonderful offer from Donna Ray on the chat. And I just want to remind everybody, when you log off the program today, if you indeed joined through WebEx uh, and you're on the computer there, uh, Donna wants to start a group uh, that can begin to sort of make these kinds of connections across uh, the continuum of UME, GME, CME, and any other MEs we can think of uh, that, ha- <laughs> that have to do with all the training. This is probably not a bad moment for me to remind people, the open school here would wring my neck if I forgot, uh, that IHI is doing its own work to transform medical e- education through the IHI Open School for Health Professions. It's free for students from all the health-related professions, and it's a great way to boost your skills in patient safety and quality improvement, which was asked about on a couple of the questions on chat. Listeners who have questions or would like to get involved in an IHI Open School chapter can email openschool at ihi.org. And also, if you want to continue the conversation from this call with other students and faculty, you can visit uh, the Open School's blog, and that is ihiopenschool.blogspot.com. IHIopenschool.blogspot.com. So um, we've still got a little more time. I want to ask a, a question that came up from several people, which is what kind of faculty do you need uh, to be able to kind of get in there and uh, work with some of these new ideas? Um, John? Well, uh, you know, we've been very encouraged uh, in terms of faculty recruitment for our programs. We've been uh, very successful, but essentially very little difficulty in assembling our new faculty for our, for our College of Medicine. Uh, as you know, because we maintain a 10 to 1 ratio, faculty-student ratio in our neighborhoods, uh, one of our larger groups of faculty is in primary care family medicine, medicine, pediatrics, OBGYN, that are actually in the neighborhoods and uh, create that mentoring relationship with students. Uh, And that's very attractive to physicians uh, in in medical education. It's a real opportunity uh, that they see where they can really, uh, uh, in the process of educating these students, get a very meaningful, close relationship. And I think the students appreciate it as well. Okay. Larry? Are you recruiting sure. faculty right now? We, we are endlessly recruiting faculty. I would say that, uh, laughingly, I would say you need a few very creative people and lots of flexible people. Uh-huh. Uh, in fact, I think if you have all creative people, you have chaos. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but you certainly need people willing to try things different from the way they were educated. In addition, I think that you can't train the kind of doctor you want 
if the clinical setting you immerse the students in doesn't match those values. And so we are really intent on finding physicians who like being doctors, mm-hmm. still like being doctors, and like going to work every day taking care of patients and do it at a high quality level. Uh, I think that there is nothing more pernicious in undermining all of the things you try to do in medical school uh, if students are constantly exposed to deeply unhappy physicians. And so one of the things that we're trying to do is find people who still have the joy of medicine to be the faculty that we expose our students to. Are you having trouble finding those people? No. <laughs> at least not at this point. Okay. Um, that, 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 that sounds encouraging. Your comment, Larry, made me think of something that uh, maybe I'll pose to Brownie. Uh, many of the people who joined WIHI, um, and I'm not, you know, we'll have to kind of go back and look at sort of the various uh, job categories or uh, organizations that people came from for today's call, but work in healthcare facilities right now, and maybe some of those physicians or other uh, faculty you're looking for. Brownie, sort of looking at this overview of changes in uh, training here, what can healthcare organizations do to sort of help support, reinforce, accelerate, uh, be embracing of these kinds of changes? By healthcare organizations, do you mean teaching hospitals and schools or yes, organizations like who mine? Would, that's right. I think any of the organizations that might be touch points where students might uh, be uh, entering into, whether they're in a brand new school or they've got some dynamic new program that's got them kind of out in the community and an office practice for the first time. Well, I think Larry actually identified a key thing, and as I mentioned earlier, it came up in the New Horizons conference, which was the um, expressing uh, the joy of the practice, of being happy about taking care of patients and exhibiting that mentoring, and so that the culture of the institution and the environment of the institution in which people are working, these healthcare organizations, that they foster this positive attitude and um, make it truly patient-centered and a great place to work where there are happy physicians and other healthcare workers. I think that's something that could be done. Um, another thing is, uh, and John has talked about this as well, the whole continuum, we're working hard to foster more collaboration across the various organizations that are responsible for the, if you will, the three areas of medical education, undergraduate, graduate, and continuing medical education, so that we're all really talking more about and working with a continuum than separate silos. Okay. All right. Uh, I think uh, we heard from Larry just a minute ago and Brownie and maybe John Rock. I'm going to give you uh, kind of the last word before we have to sort of sign off. And any thoughts about that in terms of the healthcare community uh, that you're interacting with right now with your two classes? Your- well, I, well, I think um, um, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the environment, the culture, of this medical school and and how it's interacted with the community that it serves uh, is 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 very exciting. I, I must say this community has welcomed us, uh, has been part of our development, and has uh, has really um, uh, validated our approach to being a part of a solution for them as a partner. And and uh, it's exciting because I I really do feel like. Uh, 
that uh, and 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 I think Larry, you mentioned it as well. Your community, we really feel like that uh, our strongest ally and 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 this new task, this new innovation of medical education that we're putting in place, are the community, the community physicians, uh, all of of the society fabric uh, that that constitutes the community, and they want us to succeed. And and it really creates the kind of exciting environment where uh, the physicians that we've brought in have really enjoyed it and may comment on how unique this experience has been. So it's it's been very exciting for us, and I'm sure for Larry. And uh, and uh, we want to continue the dialogue as we learn in this process. Well, Dean John Rock and uh, Dean Larry Smith and Brownie Anderson, I have to say I'm excited, and uh, I I think many people participating today, uh, it's great to hear about how these things are kind of breaking through and becoming more visible, and I hope we can all get together again uh, and take stock in so many months down the road. Larry, we wish you well with your first uh, class of students. You're going to have slots for about 40 students, is that right? That's right. Okay. And I guess, uh, John Rock, you told me you've got 40, about 40 students in each class, and you're about to expand. Is that right? That's correct. We'll be uh, increasing our class to 80 uh, next year. All right. Sounds terrific. Thank you, Brownie Anderson, John Rock, and Larry Smith, and thank all of you who joined today. Really appreciated your questions and comments. I want to remind you that you can download the chat and keep uh, talking with one another. And the IHI Open Schools inviting students and faculty who would like to blog and uh, go back and forth uh, be- further with this discussion, ihioopenschool.blogspot.com. Next up on WIHI on October 7th from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time, same time, reducing readmissions, restoring revenues, making good care count. IHI's own Amy Boutwell plus two financial leaders from hospitals are going to walk us through why it's critical to do the math that's associated with reducing readmissions. There are headaches, but also surprises and opportunities. And details about that program are on our website right now at IHI.org. You can also find an audio download of this program uh, by tomorrow morning. Uh, so you can tell all your colleagues and friends and other students and faculty they missed something really interesting. I hope that's what you'll say. Um, You can also find, if you subscribe to the Institute for Healthcare Improvement on iTunes, you can download the program there. Look under the archive tab on the WIHI section of IHI.org. Big thanks to Vicki Minden, who puts together a lot of resources, references, things we spoke of today, plus more that gets posted to our website as well. Any questions whatsoever, info at IHI.org. The people who help make WIHI possible are Mike Sweeney, Jesse McCall, Alan Olison, Jane Rossner, Val Weber, Matt Morse, Vicki Minden, and Logan Kirkpatrick. And the music that opens and closes WIHI, their original arrangements by Aaron Flanders on guitar and Miguel Sapasoa on piano. Again, a very big thank you uh, to uh, our guests today. Uh, you know, they really, they're very, very busy and doing very important work right now in this country. So I I thank them uh, for their time in helping me plan today's um, program and being available to all of you. It's my privilege to host a program that's about spirited learning and improving patient care. Most of all, that is what it's about for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day, everyone.